I'm Rihanna Dillon, and this is The Guru. Herding cats is a good way of describing the life of a producer. They are usually the first and the last people in the process responsible for keeping everyone on track to deliver a big, creative, expensive project. How does this process change between making a BAFTA-nominated game or a BAFTA-nominated film? We set up Michelle Ducker, producer at Media Molecule, the studio behind Little Big Planet and Tearaway, with Amanda Posey, who co-owns Wild Gaze Films and is producer of BAFTA and Oscar-nominated films Brooklyn, Wild and upcoming Their Finest. Here's an extract of their chat, starting with, what is your job? For me, definitely, it's herding cats. That's my. <laughs> that's the simplest way that I can describe it. Things never quite work out the way that you think that they will, so it's very right. much like managing the unknown. Right, right. It's so abstract. The, the first game that we released, Little Big Planet, trying to describe what I did day-to-day was just such a strange, yeah. weird, abstract concept that mm. production is quite hard to describe. Yeah, no, it is. And I think herding cats is quite useful, actually. But I I have to say, because I need to get across to people, people have heard of actors and they've heard of directors and, Mm. and they've heard of writers, but they don't understand what a producer does. So the easiest way I get that across to people like one's granny is to say that I'm there right at the beginning, which is the kind of producer I am. They're mm. right at the beginning, either when the idea is first formed or we option the book. And then we do everything from there right to the end. So it's just, it's saying we're the only people, pretty much, who are there right at the beginning of the instigation of the project, right through to when the film comes out on DVD and even mm. beyond that as you're sort of getting reports in and getting finances in. So most people understand what a film is, but they don't know who starts it or who finishes it. And I try sort of try and say, we do, we do all of that. We do all of that. But in terms of trying to get across what you're doing every day, I, what I love about it is it touches on absolutely everything. So you've got a little mm. bit of being a lawyer with the contracts. You've got a little bit of being down with the crew and sort of talking to the artists or the technicians or and you've got the sort of writer literary side of it working with words and being an editor in terms of the script development side of it and then all the you know the the final post-production and editing with music and you know I just love the fact that it's 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 like 20 different jobs but yeah. all rolled into one role I really really don't know what your job entails I started looking into doing an animation film and it felt to me like it was a different medium from mm-hmm. film altogether and I can imagine that doing video games is somewhat like that that even though day to day you may be doing similar things to me the processes feel really different to me so I presume you draw everyone together again the finances the look of the piece who you're selling it to or who you're working with to distribute the game is that right is that what you do yeah actually it's interesting because a lot of what you described before describing your job Mm. is very similar to mine except for I guess the way I would describe your job Mm. is that maybe you deal with more of the finances more of like securing funding and doing like the recce location scouting Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which rather than me doing that like talking to our game developers like our designers and talking about how they would build those sorts of virtual worlds I guess yours is more kind of like getting out there and exploring like the physical terrains and figuring out like your teams and bringing them together like it's that's very true um, no you're you're absolutely right I think there are complete parallels like in a Mm. quite an interesting way the way that I would work is that I would work with like our head of finance to help with like 
the budgets and like mm-hmm. our studio mm-hmm. director. Then we'd have like our creative director, our art director, our technical director, and we would have teams like within them and mm-hmm. we would just work with them I would work with them day to day I'd extract information I'd figure out like what the plans would be and present them back to people so a lot of my job is a facilitator I'm, I facilitate yeah and that no that's that sounds very that actually from that process sounds really similar but so do none of those people that you're working with and you interact directly with the financing source I mean do you then have to turn around and present or pitch back to the people who are going to say yes you can have half as much as we promised or twice as much as we promised Mm. so we work with the publisher so we work with Sony they acquired our studio about seven years ago so we very much like present back we go through a green light process Mm. and very much very structured and we would present back like what our Mm. plans are Mm. so we would have to figure out all of the ins and outs and like do some projections of like Mm. what our year ahead would be Mm -hmm. and even beyond that gather all that information and present it back in a way that's understandable to the department various departments of like quite a big like yeah. organisations so yeah. it's um, like I don't deal with that firsthand. so we, we do have people at the studio like our studio mm-hmm. director and finance manager who very much like that's their deal, job yeah, yeah they, right. um, they're very much like they, they deal with that mm-hmm. but I gather all of the information that they need in order to present mm-hmm. back fi- like figures that would be representative of what we'd need so it's mm-hmm. we all kind of have our own like little kind of day to days that all kind of fit within the bigger puzzle of like well that's very like a production entity or a boutique production entity within a studio Mm. from a film producer point of view so it's it's different from the independent production model which i'm part of if you see what i mean yeah because every project is working from ground zero Mm. in terms of where the money might come from we might have i don't know five six seven different main financiers across a number of different projects at any one time so each one you're having to sort of build that relationship or carry that relationship through um, or piece together the puzzle of the financing it might be multi-financiers which it normally is to be honest with the way we work so that's really interesting are you allowed to do your own maverick projects so if for example sony's not interested in pursuing one or other of your ideas but you guys all really love it and you feel sure that it has a place out there in the marketplace do you have your own ability to follow that up or is that not really part of the remit that's a very interesting question that i don't quite know the answer to (laughs) (laughs) like we've got a really good relationship with the publisher like with sony Mm. um well we're part of sony now and the last project that i worked on was very much like a passion project Mm. and we pitched it and we got greenlit and we were able to work on it and that was a sequel uh, not so much a sequel actually it was more of an adaptation of the a game that we worked on years ago which was for the Vita which was a new piece of hardware that was like just completely unlike anything that was on the market had a back touch and a front touch it was a handheld console Mm -hmm. and we really wanted to make something that would show off the hardware in as many ways as possible but be quite an interesting different sort of experience as a player Mm -hmm. where we wanted like the real world to intersect with the game world through the touch panels of the of the hardware and it was a huge challenge but that was an example of a project that we pitched internally and we were really keen to make it and they fell in love with it and Mm. we were able to make it so so you haven't yet anyway for the time being come across a situation where the thing you want to make isn't the thing that your end user your publisher wants you to do um, yeah, no, not, oh, not at all. Good. I mean, the relationship. Yeah, that's a good like, relationship. Yeah. 
like the relationship we have actually is we are able to just talk openly and honestly with them of like where the direction that we want to head in and mm. and there's a constant open dialogue with them so mm-hmm. um we feel that we're quite fortunate to kind of have that sort of flexibility yeah. and freedom and yeah, yeah. i'm jealous <laughs> <laughs> When I went to university, there was very, very little in terms of filmmaking groups or or filmmaking equipment, because at that time it had to be Super 8 or 16. There was no video. Ancient. I'm ancient. So a lot of people got into theatre, which is what I did, and I found theatre really frustrating because however much I loved what we made, I always was frustrated by the fact that only a small number of people in a small place would ever be able to see it. Even if I felt it had something to say to the whole world, you know, it was very hard to communicate that way. And that was what helped push me into... I'd always loved films, but I, as I said, I'd never worked them. So I thought, I really want to apply this to film. And it was only really after leaving college, we, we did a, a film group at college, but not making anything. It was only after leaving college that I... Um, then tried to find ways to get into making films in England. And I volunteered for a producer's association that took regular interns. But there were very few places, very few production companies at that time took interns. So it was quite hard to get those kinds of unpaid volunteer jobs. But that was critical, really. It was there that other companies sometimes phoned that association up to say, have you got any good runners or interns who want to come up for a sort of entry-level position job that we've got. So, in fact, that's where I got my first interview from, and my first two interviews. So the way I got into the games industry was why I started out by getting into the film industry, because mm. that's sort of where I thought I was heading. My passion, like, I mm. really wanted to work in, with directors and producers. Mm. And so my first opportunity came up when I was studying English Lit, and in my first year I went to a short film festival, met a casting director, and then mm. got offered a, a work experience position for about two weeks, I think it was. And after that two weeks, I was offered a full-time job, but obviously no. I had to say no. <laughs> it was like, no. Nope. So you had two more years left. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it was in my first year, so I was like, no, I need to get my degree. And so I was offered like a couple of days a week, so I continued doing that, working with him for about six years. And when I got through to the end of the degree, I thought, actually, I want to learn how to make a film from scratch. Mm. I hadn't met anybody who was really interested in making short films at that point Mm. because it was English Lit, and I just thought, oh, like doing all the film courses, Mm. like trying to absorb as much as I could. And I thought, oh, I'll study animation. So from there, I jumped straight into doing an animation degree. And that taught me so much about pre-production through to, like, post. And, like, I learned how to put a film together. And at that point, one of my friends at college brought in a copy of Edge magazine, which was a games magazine, and put it in front of me with Sackboy, the character Mm. from Little Big Planet, on the front cover. It was a feature on Media Molecule. And said, oh, this is a studio that you should work for. And I looked at it and I thought, oh my God, this is amazing, this is great. Read the feature, loved it, thought they're great. Looked at the job section and thought, Hmm. I'm not an artist, I'm not a level designer, I'm not a programmer, I can't apply. So I just sort of shelved it. Didn't think that games was even an industry that was like of interest to me at the time. I just thought, no, I'm Hmm. I'm just going to leave that one for now. Graduated then, uh, continued to do like small jobs, Hmm. um, casting jobs for various producers and then towards the end of the eight months that I was working I just thought well actually they're like I need a challenge like I need to do something that's a little bit different and games popped up again and I thought ah I'm just gonna just apply and I did Mm -hmm. and 
and then there was a series of like two interviews over two weeks and got the job not knowing what I was going in for but got offered the assistant producer role so at the busiest time of the production of the game which was a bit of an eye-opener it was like a trial by fire yeah exactly (laughs) I was just wondering because obviously sort of everybody watches films so to a certain extent it's just sort of how passionate you are and whether it's something you want to work in but Mm. for you did you play games yeah, I grew okay. up with like Commodore 64. We had a family friend who okay. had one, and he was. Um, I think there was a trick that our parents, my, me and my brother, like our, our parents played on us, where they would be like, "Oh, you've got access to this console," mm. and you'd sit and like put this game on with this little tape deck mm-hmm. and just wait for an hour for it to load, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't load. You quickly like turn it over and wait for it to load, and mm-hmm. it was a way to keep us quiet. I think, but it was. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that was their that was their trick, but that sort of took me into a different route when I was a kid and like growing up playing games, like getting whatever console I could get my hands on from doing part time jobs from when I was fourteen, like right. paper rounds and everything. So it was, it was something that was absolutely in your head as mm. something you really strongly engaged in. Anyway, it was, right, but okay. never thought of as an industry that I could get into. No, like, quite. especially being a girl, like yeah. games. You always think it's a boys' thing. You're, mm. you're like when you grow up, you're like, oh no definitely a boys thing and when I was doing my A-levels I thought no this is totally not what is Mm. like the in thing with friends like peer pressure and Mm -hmm. whatnot it was just like no Mm -hmm. it sort of came back again like full circle I guess Mm -hmm. which was quite exciting because it was almost like oh this is dream position and like yeah that you wouldn't have thought of I think I think it's true probably both of our industries in the ways that there are the obvious as it were front people to those industries like everybody would think of the artists or the people that that conceive of the games Mm. as being the sort of source of it and same with the directors writers and maybe to some slightly lesser extent some of the sort of you know directors of photography or something like that on a film people sort of know that those positions exist people often don't realize how many different levels of positions there are ways that you can be involved Mm. Um, and I didn't know I thought I wanted to direct because that was the only position I could see that was involved in all aspects of the film I had no idea a producer really even existed or Mm. what they did. And then working for a producer, uh, I was very lucky to work for a producer called Stephen Woolley, who was already then a very well-known producer who had his hand in lots of different pies. I suddenly saw that actually, potentially, the most creative person in the whole process was that kind of a producer. And the most involved person in the process was that kind of producer. But I think it is a really helpful thing for people who are interested in going into the profession that would be true, I think, of your industry as well as mine, is have a look down the list, especially with film credits. Mm. Have a look down the list. See, there are people like post-production supervisor who are across the whole post-production side of a film that, again, people wouldn't know about. Or you can be a music supervisor who brings up all the music for films, you know. So... I think it, it's the, the really obvious positions are the ones probably that might be actually the hardest to get into, but, mm. but working your way through some of the other areas of putting a film together and I'm sure for putting a game together are ways of getting into the industry. Yeah, I totally agree. Like Over the last few years, we've accepted a lot of interns at the studio mm. and work experience students, and it's really interesting just to see where their interests lie and just try and understand exactly what what it is, mm. where they're heading and what they want to get out of it. And it's really encouraging to see so many like girls, for example, coming in and saying, That's oh, great. I'm studying programming. And you're like, yes, great. Right, like, right. future programmer, like, amazing. Mm. And the thing is, not everybody has the same skill set. So it's like figuring out what people are good at and what you're good at and, like, encouraging mm-hmm. and nurturing that. And mm. 
understanding the ways to kind of encourage that and open their eyes to different roles. And it's exactly as you said before, having a look down the film credit list or the game credit list and just seeing what the jobs are and what's available. And So my advice would be look at everything, absorb everything, listen to everything, just take everything in and ask questions. I think that's the key thing. It's just like engaging, just trying to get as much information as possible and figuring out who the go-to people are or who you can go and approach and ask questions to. We try and like facilitate that at our studio, but right. like not all workplaces might be able to do that. But it's like yeah. just gathering as much information and trying to understand why these certain things are important to this other thing that might not even make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like very good advice. Because we're a small company, literally we have two paid employees and an intern and then two producers. But, you know, of course we expand to 150 or whatever when we're actually making a film, but it's a very small unit. So the intern can be really, really important to us. In fact, we rely on an intern to do a lot for us. But also there isn't necessarily that much time. So they have to judge the moment quite carefully of when they might ask myself or my producing partner, Fanola, do you fill me in on this, you know, without making nuisances of themselves. So I'd take up one key area of the advice you gave, which is listen really hard. Try and build a picture from what you're overhearing, because one good thing about a lot of offices nowadays, but certainly our offices, that you're all in the same room. Everything's going on. I'm not hiding anything from them. I might be talking to the head of a film studio or I might be talking to my director and they can hear all of that and just to really take note of that but also to be as efficient in the small things you get asked to do because that honestly is one of the things that impresses us straight away is we think oh well we could use them as a real runner or as an assistant because Mm. god they achieved those jobs those five jobs I asked them to they achieved them really well and they tend to be small low level jobs but if you apply the same precision to them as you would hope to do if you were being tested or interviewed or you know what I mean Mm. you know just to show that you can deliver at a certain level of efficiency I think just really really helps because you know we haven't got a lot of money so we need to make sure that we make every penny count and make all our hours count and so you know that kind of help can be really essential. I think it's also really important that with interns or people coming in for the first time into a studio environment it's just like not being afraid to ask questions as well that they don't Mm. understand so Mm. if somebody asks me oh I don't quite understand why I'm doing this or what I'm doing it for Mm. it's good to know that they don't have to know everything that they can just pick up on things and really run with them and just kind of try and Mm. connect the dots but I guess like at different phases of production it, it can be quite difficult because you can't spend so much time explaining everything in so much detail but Mm -hmm. you kind of just hope that like whoever comes in will be able to just like take Mm. it and run with it Mm. but like I don't know it's it's tricky but no you're right it's a very good idea to ask the question to tailor what you're producing so that it's as as good as it can be you know from that point of view so that if Mm. we quite often talk very quickly and say look I want you to look into films around 1951 that might have had a scene where they were performing on stage or something like that and I walk out the door and they're like oh my god what what do they mean do they want the names of the films do they want to know you know when they came out or you know and, and just to then ask the questions that will help you be more precise in what you deliver I think that's Mm. really helpful but one thing I was going to say because I find this really frustrating with a lot of interns and more particularly intern applications to our company is a lot of people don't bother making it really specific to you and your company 
Mm. So they don't bother saying, Brooklyn was one of my favourite films of last year. You know, I would so love to be involved in making a film like that. I really care about the kinds of stories you tell. These are the books I loved and this is why I think, you know, whatever. Things that make tailor them to your company and make you feel like they would be a great addition even if it's just for two weeks or three weeks or four weeks or whatever. And I can't believe the number of people who just send a standard letter mm. and won't even sort of say, you know, congratulations on your recent Oscar nomination or won't look for the most recent things that they've seen in the press or in the industry mm. trades about that company. That It marks you out, I think, and makes it more likely you'd use them. I think it's just listening, just listening to what you've been told and being able to present back or work with what you have. One of the things that sometimes distinguishes interns for us is if they bring in information or perspective from outside of the office environment. So Mm. they say, I've heard that, oh, that same writer has worked on a TV series. Did you know that? They are reading around and keeping up to date outside of the immediate office so they've actually brought something in that's new information for me oh I might be able to use that this is funny because it's making me think of when I was working <laughs> when I was working in casting it was exactly that so I'm just can one do that about... in games I mean is that something that is helpful to you I guess with games you sort of people bring their skills to you so I guess if I was to use our associate producer for example she came in as an intern last year Mm -hmm. and she came in from uh, Melbourne and she was working with me for three months like helping to finish the game Mm -hmm. that we shipped in September and the thing that really stood out with her is that she just took everything on and she just ran with it she really listened she was really like attentive to detail and she brought not only her personality it's just amazing she's just so bubbly and so like ready just to take on any challenge and really run with it. But she also had a whole background that I am not familiar with as a producer. And she, like her background is she studied design and programming and she was bringing all of that knowledge into the role, which just worked really well for us. So we just like, we complimented each other quite nicely. And, and so she came back in January and she's now working with us as a producer at the studio. So I guess that's an example that I can think of where somebody had come in and it worked out really well but it's kind of like yeah I guess it's like offering up knowledge from outside and bringing it in and like contributing and helping to kind of make Mm -hmm. like or get by day to day but also help ship the project best part of my job um, I think it's just seeing everything happen from the ground level to top level like being involved in like as you said, like in every element, understanding what people need, being able to help like make things happen. Like I love the buzz of like when you're getting a demo together or like when you're working towards a deadline and you just feel that there's a real kind of buzz in the air where everybody's like coming together as a team and they're all banding together and helping each mm-hmm. other and like you're beginning to see that the game is like taking shape and everyone's like asking oh are you okay like you'll be like asking people oh do you need a cup of tea like you'll just be like running around trying to just help keep everything moving and make things happen like I love that I love like seeing things come together and like I think that's probably the most exciting part of my job where I feel like wow we're really in this but we're in it together it's not just Mm. you on your own Mm. like it's I think the most difficult part of my job is definitely the times where I feel like I've taken on everything and it's all sitting with me and I can feel quite lonely as a producer. You kind of feel like you're the person that people come to and they expect that, like, you've got the plan, like, you've got everything in hand, but there are some times where you feel like, oh, everything's kind of 
just a little bit all over the place and you're sort of managing the unknown a little. I think that's where I've learned, like, over the years of working as a producer at the studio, that it's really important to find people who you can talk to. Sometimes vent to, sometimes you need, like, a little vent where you just want to scream and... Like, I found that our audio leads has been really great for that. He's got a soundproof room, so <laughs> I've often gone into his room and just really screamed and then walked out. I'm just like, really sorry, but I just really have to do this. And then had a little scream, had a little moan, and then walked out. But I think the act of, like, talking things through with people has really helped me. But I've also learned that talking to people who have the experience to actually listen, hear you out, and understand what you're saying rather than actually me going to an intern or going to somebody who's a little bit junior and saying, oh, I've got a problem with this and this. And, you know, that, that can be really destructive. So I've just mm-hmm. learned that that's, that's not the best thing to do. <laughs> but, yeah. The best thing about my job is the experience of sitting in the audience when you've made a movie and maybe it's one of the first few times you've shown it to real people not just industry people and not just your friends or your family, but to real people, you know, maybe a first festival audience where they've paid money to come and buy their tickets and that you can feel all the things you hoped the film would excite in people. So you can see them crying, you can hear them laughing, you can hear them gasp at the right moment or even at moments you never expected them to gasp at. When we first showed Brooklyn at Sundance Film Festival, there's a moment when the main character puts a letter back into a drawer and doesn't open it and the audience gasped. It was like a horror film, but it, it was because they were so emotionally invested in the story of, of what was going on with her and why she wouldn't open that letter, that it had that moment of excitement. So for me, it's like you've, you've worked so hard with all these different people, but finally you're getting that response from the audience and you're feeling like it's actually doing the things you always hoped it would do, right from the moment that you first read that essay or read that book or talk to that director that it's sort of come to its fruition and sometimes I sneak into the back of paid commercial viewings in cinemas just to hear certain moments or hear people respond at the end or chat on the way to the loo just because for me that's what it's all about is how they feel about the the thing you've you've made and I've been lucky enough to be involved in enough films that have really worked for the audience and so have produced really incredibly humbling and exciting responses from people so it's it's been it's it's I find that an enormous rush and pleasure there are so many tough things about the job (laughs) however um so picking one tough thing and this is particular to independent production and particular to us having to put together the financing ourselves and it's a real shame that it's happened on more films than I would have liked it to. But there is always or has invariably been a moment when you're sometimes just maybe even just a few weeks out from shooting, maybe even a few days out from shooting, and something goes wrong with the financing. And it nearly always happens. And for that moment, you think the whole thing is going to collapse. And everybody's livelihoods, all these people who put two months aside, three months aside, a director's put a year aside, all those years you've spent in development may come to nothing because the whole thing might collapse in that very moment. And that's come close on nearly every film I've worked on, which is awful. Mm. But it is 
the way it can be. How do you deal with those moments and how do you carry that responsibility and that weight? I have to say that I've always had a partner in producing and having a partner in crime is incredibly helpful. So I've always worked in a producing partnership and we can turn to one another for the pickup, for the motivation, for pouring your heart out and then saying, okay, back we go, back into the fray. So that that's really important. But again, in independent finance films, you have to live by rejection. And that's a phrase we use all the time. It's basically, you have to remind yourself, don't you remember that film, now Oscar nominated, got rejected by this person, this person, this person, this person. You've got to believe in it. You've got to keep going and you've got to not let those no's be the thing that brings you down and the thing that makes you turn away from it. So it's constantly reminding yourself that there are many, many brilliant things out there in the world that tons of people on the way to them becoming what they became thought it was a bad idea. You know, and that's in every part of the industry, but it's certainly every part of nearly every industry, I'd say, but it's certainly true in film. I kind of feel like a lot of the time I can't deal with them, but actually, like, I think just the act of talking them through with people, like finding the right people um, to talk to and just talk out what the problem is. And actually, like, any setback or knockback that you get is something that's shared with the whole team because we're a team and we work quite closely together. So if there's something that's come up that's project-related and it's to do with maybe how the schedule might be affected or how we're shipping, then it's pretty much, like pushing that out into the open and saying, you know, this is a problem, like we need to deal with this together and we need to figure it out. More of on the personal level of how I would deal with something would be that I would just probably sit and get quite annoyed at myself, just be like, what? I just don't get it. How am I going to deal with this? But I just try and take a bit of a step back and breathing is really important, just taking deep breaths and like going for a walk actually like I, I agree it's <laughs> a good walk's helpful yeah it's really important to take mm. a break because a lot of the time you can be so in the zone a small problem can be like huge and you might end up feeling like everything is going to crash um, but actually the problem can be shared and solved with mm. multiple people but taking a step back going for a walk playing a game watching something mm. and chatting to somebody about something different reading like a do yoga so doing a little bit of yoga or meditating is quite good and quite calming but finding like little outlets to kind of stop and take a step back and have a look and often the problem actually is quite easily solved just by doing that and coming back and seeing and seeing it in a completely different light sounds crazy but it's actually it works like a lot of I agree I think sleep on it can be incredibly constructive you know yeah just park it and the, the next day will bring a new perspective that's brilliant actually that's actually like the best thing that's great advice because a lot of the time you'll wake up in the morning and it's like everyone talks about these like shower moments where you're like so you're in the shower and you can problem solve and it's all completely clear and actually a lot of the time you'll have like one of our directors or like one of our designers will be like just thought of this thing like this thing that we couldn't solve and you know in the shower I thought of this and it's actually (laughs) true it's a real thing (laughs) right I worked with a different producing partner recently 
and he dubbed me Good News Amanda. So I always came in with the optimistic, the positive, this is the thing that's going to G everyone up, piece of news. And I've often been called glass half full, you know, as opposed to glass half empty. I'll always look on the bright side. And what it can mean is it can mean that you ignore or you're not maybe tough enough with certain problems. But on the plus side, it helps enthuse everyone and helps motivate everyone. So I think Mm. people think I'm quite a good motivator and enthusiast. That's definitely a really good quality to have as being a producer as well, because people go to you and they see you as like almost being like the temperature gauge of like what's happening at that Mm -hmm. moment in time so they're they're kind of like oh like are we in trouble what's happening exactly yeah (laughs) it's true my dream job is to make a horror movie and it is actually to make a horror movie with Pedro Amadovar oh wow (laughs) it would be out there it would be amazing it would be fantastic and it would be horror musical I've just pitched it (laughs) (laughs) brilliant anyway (laughs) funnily enough my dream job is very banal but I just not banal but it's it's sort of just completely the opposite I think of everything to do with film which is I would love to run a cafe a cafe in a little park and everything to be about the daily moment and just you know little moments of people's lives as they go through the cafe maybe mums and kids maybe you know local people that work nearby I just have always loved that sort of coffee gathering cake environment and I quite often if I'm like really really annoyed with the whole thing and hating my job and I just think oh you know there's that there's that empty property I'm going to get together with so-and-so and we're just going to open a cafe and I'm sure if I spoke to a cafe owner they'd go oh my god you can't believe the headaches you have to suffer as a cafe owner but anyway that's my my from the from the outside from arm's length that's my dream job I try and watch as many movies as I can. I read, read as much as I can, play games at mm. work, but I also like play lots of games at home. Galleries, just get myself out there and mm. just do the things that I really enjoy that kind of led me to this industry, I think. I have to say I agree. The things that inspire me and get my creative juices flowing are absorbing other people's art so whether it's paintings whether it's Mm. great tv shows films you know it's not just about films but reading a lot of books I actually find funnily enough that some of the most inspiring things for me are documentaries because Mm. they give rise to ideas for fictional things without somehow sort of doing it for you do you know what I mean so yeah. uh, it gives it gives rise to context for stories places or untold parts of history and characters so I, I I quite often find that sort of will get me going even if I'm not necessarily directly using that documentary when you were saying that the documentaries mm-hmm. it made me think actually a lot of the sources of inspiration come from reading about other people's experiences so reading about how other mm-hmm. producers have made it or other people in the tech industry mm-hmm. have worked forward in their careers and right. there's a producer called Dawn Steele um, oh, yeah. from like way back when and like she her biography was absolutely fantastic and what was that was, one called I think it was like they can eat you but they can't kill you I think <laughs> it had it's got the most amazing front cover where nice. she's got this crazy amazing 80s hairdo and she's got her hands on her hips like this and you just think 
Don't oh, mess with her. Just, it, well, actually, it just looks like this really cheesy kind of self-help book. <laughs> but um, her story is incredible. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's, that is like a really good source of just reading about other people's experiences and mm-hmm. understanding that what you're going through is not far off from what other people are going through as well. Mm-hmm. I guess no matter what industry, actually. It's, it's I agree. I think that's, it's, it's, it's both reassuring and sort of terrifying at the same time. Yeah. But it's really interesting, I think, yeah.